Hello and welcome to another episode of The Riff. Uh, my name's Cameron and you're, I'm your host again for this week. And this week we're bringing a very, very special edition of The Riff to you. Uh, we've got some special guests which haven't been on on the Rift before. And firstly, I'd like to introduce uh, one of our very, very talented young and up-and-coming lawyers. So we've got Amelia Hatton. Amelia, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good. Good to chat to you. And I can see, um, well, our listeners can't see, but you're in our Parramatta office today. How's Parramatta been? Oh, it's been pretty good. We've been pretty busy. Yep, yep. Very good. Uh, and then I can see on the other side of you as well, we've got uh, one of our other directors here, uh, Heath Adams. He's um, an expert in the business law field, uh, accredited expert as well, I believe. Uh, knows his stuff. And how does it feel, Heath, to be back on the Rift first time? I am so excited. I am pumped. It's Let's good. It's going. good to have you here. We've had all the requests out there to get you on. Uh, and finally, we've been able to pin you down and, and get you here. So it's good to have you. What do they say, Kim? Long time listener, first time caller. That's right. That's what they say. I think that's what they say on Love Song Dedication, isn't it? So yeah, well, let's, uh, let's do our Love Song Dedication, my friend. That's right. That's right. This week, because we've got both of you on, we, we just have to talk about employment law. Employment law is one of the key areas you both deal in. I didn't think there was anything else that we could talk about without getting you on. So, Emilio, Heath, what, what's kind of, you know, the environment out there at the moment? What are you seeing in the employment law landscape in New South Wales? I'll talk first, Kim. So, in terms of our practice, we act for both employers and employees. And so we have a different perspective depending upon who we're acting for and who we're giving advice. But yeah. uh, there is no doubt that the coronavirus has had a massive impact upon both the business landscape and the employment landscape for this year, mm -hmm. which has an impact upon employers in terms of how they deal with their employees and whether they retain their staff, uh, and obviously for employees in terms of whether they retain their job. The government has obviously helped with the JobKeeper uh, entitlements and, and JobSeeker for those who don't have a job. Uh, and I think on, based on my experience in dealing with my clients, a lot of the employers have obviously embraced JobKeeper and that's helped them maintain their workforce. But in some circumstances, they've had to make decisions about whether they retain their employees, which has led to decisions around or questions around whether they should make their employees stand down or mm -hmm. redundant or to dismiss them. And what yep. we're finding with employers is we're being asked lots of questions around what does it mean to dismiss an employee and if I have to dismiss an employee, will I be subject to an unfair dismissal claim? So that's the experience we've had with employers. On the flip side, and this is where Amelia has more of the expertise, is when advising employees. So I'll let her have a bit of a chat about that. Right. As, as he said, on, on the flip side, we've had a number of inquiries from employees who have been, been terminated, um, probably unfortunately from employers who haven't necessarily followed the, the right rules and procedures and, and those terminations may be considered unfair. And we've been in a position where we've needed to advise them on bringing unfair dismissal claims, resolving those and, and how they go about navigating that whole process. Yeah. So, so Amelia, I think the key question I've got here is I don't dabble in this area of law that often, but just for myself and the listeners out there, what does the term unfair dismissal really mean? We can sort of break it down into two parts. So if you look at what 
dismiss means um, in summary, it's a person's employment essentially being terminated at the employer's initiative. So your employer coming to you and saying, we no longer need you um, as part of our workforce and we, we're going to terminate your employment agreement with us. In terms of the unfair part of that, really the dismissal is going to be considered to be unfair if the circumstances surrounding your termination, be it the way you were terminated or the circumstances that led up to your termination, whether that's considered to be harsh or unjust or unreasonable. Yeah. So, so say for instance, an example of that may be if I walked into work and I walked into Heath's office and he didn't like what I was wearing that day and he just said, Cameron, get on your horse and get out of here. I might be able to come to you and be like, look at me, I think that's a bit unfair. Well, look, it's going to depend on the outfit, Cameron. I think <laughs> some people might consider that fair, but true, uh, in, true, in true. the eyes of the Fair Work Commission, that, that would ordinarily be considered an unfair dismissal. Yeah, okay. So that makes sense. So we've got this whole unfair dismissal term. Now, from there, wh where do we kind of go? If I was dismissed in a situation, like, can I sit on it for a while? What, what do I really need to do? Like, I'm, I've never heard this before. No, certainly not. So don't don't sit on it. If you feel that you have been unfairly dismissed, you only have 21 days from receipt of your termination or the date that you were terminated to bring a claim. So it doesn't include the day that you were terminated, but the next day the clock starts ticking and you only have 21 days or, or three weeks to, to file an application with the Fair Work Commission. Yep. Okay. So 21 days. So really, if I'm going to get advice, I need to do it straight away. Yeah, to get to get the best advice, you want to come to us as soon as possible so that we can properly assess things, try and resolve it if we can, or make sure that we bring the best the best and strongest application that we can for you. And does it matter if, for instance, like I'm casual, part time, you know, contract work, anything like that, or does it matter if I've only been there, you know, three weeks? Uh, well, look, timing definitely matters. So there's a, there's a few issues that you've raised there. Um, in terms of the time frame that you've been employed by someone, so we can break that into two issues. The, the first being, if your employer is considered a small business employer, so you might, for example, work as a barista in a cafe and you're, you're employed as one of five staff, your employer is going to be considered a small business employer. Yep. So in those circumstances you must have been employed for at least 12 months to bring an unfair dismissal claim. So the threshold there is any employer who has less than 15 staff will be considered a small business employer. Okay. Flip side of that, if you uh, work for a larger organisation, let's say you have 30 employees um, and you were dismissed, you have, you have to work there for six months. To, to bring a claim. Okay, so the bigger you are, the, the less time requirement. Correct, correct. Okay. okay, awesome. And then so does the type of work matter at all, Heath? Yeah, so what you were saying before, Cameron, about employees or if you're a contractor um, is very important. So there is a distinction between an employee and a contractor. Now, the only person, or per, uh, the only person that can rely upon the unfair dismissal regime are employees. Right. So if you're employed as a, or you're engaged as a contractor, uh, and an example of a contractor would be someone like an, uh, potentially an Uber driver or Uber food driver, or uh, someone that, that works on a casual basis using their own equipment, 
like a delivery driver or something like that, then in those circumstances, they're most likely to be characterised as a contractor. Now, a contractor can't rely upon the unfair dismissal regime under the Fair Work Act. Only an employee can. So, yes, the nature of your engagement with the uh, employer is really important. If you're not an employee, you can't rely upon the unfair dismissal, dismissal regime. Then there's also restrictions on uh, how much you earn as to whether you can bring a claim. So, for example, there's a, a high income threshold that's currently sitting at $153,600. So it's usually reviewed every financial year. If you earn in excess of that, you're also excluded from, from being a claim. Right. Okay. So there is there is a lot of factors that you need to consider, which I guess is one of the reasons why you need to seek advice early so that you can, you know, we can determine if you need to make a claim. Definitely. Definitely. So, okay, let's make that assessment. So I've come in to work here. Heath has said to me, get out because you're dressed like a hobo. Um, I've left the office. I'm only earning, you know, $60,000 a year. Um, and I'm like, okay, Amelia, we were to have a chat. What's the process from there? Where do I go? So once we've established that you um, have, well, we assume that you've worked for Adam and Partners for more than 12 months. Yep. Um, you're obviously under the income threshold um, and your your employer is not a small, small business employer. Um, we can go through the considerations that the Fair Work Commission has to take into account when assessing your claim. So we like to do this and tick off all the possible um, considerations so that we make sure that you bring a strong claim um, and that we've not missed anything that could cause you any any problem. So the, the Fair Work Act sort of governs what the Fair Work Commission can take into account. Um, and there's essentially a list of sort of 10 things um, that we'd look at to, to consider whether you, you can bring a claim. Yep. And so out of those 10, 10 things, just pick a couple out, what would be something that we, we kind of look at? So one of the important things to consider is whether there was a valid reason for your termination um, and whether that related to your capacity or, or your conduct in, I guess, ancillary to that is whether you were notified of that reason and when you, whether you were given an opportunity to respond. So um, your fashion sense or, or lack thereof, um, we, we need to consider whether that relates to your capacity um, or your conduct whether Heath had sat down with you prior to that moment and said, look, Cameron, we just don't like the way you dress. Yeah. It's not in line with our organisation. Or, or I have a personal preference. I don't particularly like purple T-shirts and I'd prefer it if you didn't wear one. And I think it's appropriate that Heath now defends himself here. So <laughs> if I had sat down with Cameron on prior occasions and had said, there's a dress code, you're a lawyer, you need to wear a suit rather than a purple shirt or a Panthers jersey, yeah. Um, when you're at work, you need to uh, present yourself to our clients and to the public in a certain way. And if you were given that uh, that advice uh, and request to wear appropriate uniforms, and you just decided not to do it and to ignore that request, then then there comes a point where actually that performance by you is unsatisfactory, and it could be the grounds for a fair dismissal. Yeah. Um, although there's a few steps that need to be taken before that can happen. Obviously. I can't just walk in off the square of the moment and say, really, you should be wearing a Roosters jersey and not that Panthers jersey. Out you go. That wouldn't work. But if there'd been a series of discussions and uh, from an employer's perspective, 
some written notice as to the things that were problematic and what needed to be rectified. If we'd gone through that process and you still ignored it, then maybe the dismissal is fair um, yep. and you wouldn't be protected under the, uh, the regime. Let's just take it a step back here, because from what I'm kind of understanding from what you're saying, this these whole idea of warnings are very important. They are very important to to a degree. I mean, they it's important that you have an opportunity to know if you're doing something wrong or something that your employer doesn't necessarily feel is consistent with your employment agreement or the values of their organisation so that you can have a chance to, to rectify that and wear yeah. a different shirt or you, you, whether you're given an opportunity to respond as well depends on the type of allegation. The common misconception for employers and, and employees is that you've got to be given at least three warnings before you can be dismissed. And that's just not the case. Yeah. Um, it, in terms of the amount, the number of warnings uh, before you're dismissed, it depends upon what it is that you have been alleged to have done wrong. Um, yeah. If what you've done wrong is, is quite uh, serious, then in some circumstances, uh, no warnings, particularly if it's serious misconduct, or maybe only one warning would be necessary to justify dismissal. In, yeah. in minor, minor respects, like a uniform sort of case, I would think that there would be at least one or two warnings that would have to have been given before someone considers dismissing that person. Okay, Heath, so with what you're just saying there as well, with the warnings, so it may depend on the type of conduct, but I, I've heard out there, you know, on the streets, because I'm always out there on the streets listening to the people, um, these written and uh, verbal warnings, does it matter what kind of warning it is or, or, or how does that go? Well, in this day and age where you know, people communicate via Facebook or social media or text message, email, you know, the way that an employer communicates with an employee is, is very different. So there's lots of cases out there of people being dismissed by SMS and those sorts of things. And those matters have been tested in the commission as to whether the dismissal is unfair by virtue of receiving the dismissal from an SMS. So to be smart if you're an employer and, and to really give the employee a chance to rectify their behaviour, you should do a few things. The first one would be to sit them down and say, this is the issue that, that we've come across and, and have a general chat without it being under the threat of a termination of employment. If the conduct is... Uh, continues, then I would, in those circumstances, set out in an email or a letter saying, we are concerned about this type of conduct. We want to sit down with you and have a discussion about it. You can bring a support person with you and we want to hear your version of events so that we can make a decision about what we do next. And then after that meeting, you then document what was said and the outcomes that both of you have agreed from that meeting. And the outcomes may not be agreed, but at the very least, the employer can say, this is what we want you to do going ahead and this is how you, we want you to do it. Now, if those directions aren't then followed, the employer is protected by saying, well, we've gone through a fair process. Um, and it's a process that really is, is uh, set out in the Small Business Fair Dismissal Code. Um, it, it's almost like a tick the box, a box approach, but you say, look, we've gone through this process and we will, at the end of the day, um, stand by that. And so if you want to take us on for an unfair dismissal claim, do so. But you know, we'll rely upon what we've done and we've done it properly. Yeah. Um, to do anything other than that, you always take the risk that the employee will say that the process you adopted was unfair 
The reasons might be valid, but the process is unfair. And because of that, it's an unfair dismissal. Trust me, there's lots of employers that go about dismissing your employees uh, differently to what I've proposed. And they're the, they're the types of clients that get into trouble. Yeah, um, yeah. Because there's always two standpoints of this. There's the employee standpoint and the employer standpoint. So, um, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying there, Heath. Um, but bringing it back to the example of myself here, um, let's say that, like you said, I was dismissed. I've reached all the requirements. Amelia, I've come to you. You're the, the go-to person to get this going. How do we go for, go from there? What's kind of the process? Do I need to do anything? What What happens? All right, so there's a few steps that, that we take. The first one, once we've had a look at your, your situation and we've, we've decided, you know what, given all the circumstances, Cameron was unfairly dismissed, um, we have to make a formal application with the Fair Work Commission. So the Fair Work Commission sort of governs unfair dismissal claims. It's uh, sort of a, a separate body to a court but operates sort of in a similar manner. Um, there's a form that we fill out. We've got to explain your details, your employer details, um, and, and why you feel like you've been unfairly dismissed. We complete that form and we file that with the Fair Work Commission. Once we've done that, your employer has time to respond. So that gets served on them. So the day that they receive that, they've then got seven days um, to file a response document. So that's also found through the Fair Work Commission as well. They can say why they feel like you weren't unfairly dismissed or provide some other form of response. Um, they might be claiming that, you know what, you think we're a big organisation, but we're actually a, a small business. So, you know, you can't bring a claim against us because you haven't been employed for 12 months. Or they might say, do you know what, we missed you, we dismissed you by way of a genuine redundancy. So you were, your position was no longer required here. We've paid you uh, compensation for that, and that's why your your employment was terminated. Whatever their their response is, they have an opportunity to to put that to the commission. Um, they've got to give a copy of that to you. Once they've done that, um, the matter is listed for what's called a conciliation hearing. This is essentially a voluntary process, um, and it runs sort of a little bit similar to a mediation. So a lot of people are sort of familiar with that kind of style of dispute resolution where parties come together, there's an independent person from the commission there, um, they're fully trained in, in the fair work laws, unfair dismissal, and they're, they're not in any way related to any party. They will sort of take the position of both, both parties, um, let you have discussions with each other and try and resolve it in a more amicable way before it has to proceed to a hearing but no one no one is required to participate in that process you can you can decide not to but we always recommend to our clients that it's a, it's a good thing to participate in um, given the emotional cost and, and legal costs sometimes in, in moving forward depending on the type of case. So and do you find that, that most of these matters once you get to conciliation kind of when it's almost like a mediation like you said it's good for the parties to have a chat so that they can think of you know ways that they can resolve this it is and often there's often there's um other issues that come to light or people can discuss their position in more detail your employer might understand your perspective a bit better Heath might go do you know what I was having a bad day I don't really hate the color purple that much I do hate the panthers but you know 
these things can't be helped. And I, I apologise for that. And and you can you can work out a resolution from there. Their options. Um, in terms of a, an outcome at a conciliation hearing, I'm much more varied, much more broader, much more in, in, I guess, within the control of both parties. You could you can come up with any kind of resolution you want, whether that be reinstatement or, or payment or some sort of compensation. Moving forward, if you don't settle it at a conciliation hearing, you don't come forward to a hearing. Um, the important thing for everyone to know with a hearing is you then prepare and exchange evidence and and. A uh, member of the commission will make a decision. The real key thing with proceeding to a hearing is that the member is very limited in what they can award. So they can either award reinstatement, which is where you, you get your position back, or up to 26 weeks compensation. So it's not an unlimited amount. It's directly related to how much you earn, um, but it's, it's no more than 26 weeks. Okay. Okay. Well, that kind of sums up the process. I think I understand a lot more about the way that I would go go from it, but I can, I think from what you're saying, I can definitely take away that if something like this happens, I need to act on it quickly because there is a lot that you need to do in a short period of time. Absolutely, Cameron. So the 21 day timeframe to lodge a claim is, is it's almost act like a guillotine. There are lots of cases that are in the Fair Work Commission since COVID where people have been dismissed and they're seeking leave to bring their claim outside the 21-day time frame. And, pretty, and some of these people have lodged, are lodging 30 days after they're dismissed or 40 days, uh, and, and they're being uh, denied uh, the right to do so. The, right. the courts essentially are taking, well, the commission's taking the view that if you want to take a unfair dismissal claim, you must act promptly so that both the employer and employee can have some certainty as to whether and this issue is going to be agitated again. So if you're if you're over 21 days, unless you've got some uh, some exceptional circumstances to justify the delay, you just won't be able to bring a claim, which is unfortunate for some people. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, when they don't know what their rights are, and they take too long to get that that advice. So yeah. I've seen I've seen cases where people are looking to get legal advice, and um, particularly over the Christmas period and and the lawyer's not available and they've relied upon that as the reason for their delay. Uh, and the courts have said, well, there are other options and uh, options out there. The Fair Work Commission site itself gives enough information for you to lodge your claim, bad luck. So yeah. 21 days is super important. Yep. There's only one message to come from this podcast, 21 days is it. That is really, I think that's a great summary from an employee standpoint. Now. Like everything, as lawyers, we like, a, like to look at the flip side. So from an employer standpoint, if somebody was to make a claim against you or um, even taking it a step back from that, the ways in which you can narrow down the chances of a claim being made, what, what should employers consider? Well, I'll let Amelia raise some comments around that. But, but my view is that when a client comes to me saying we're looking at our staffing level and whether we need to keep the current staff that we have, there are lots of other alternatives than simply dismissing an employee. You would be looking at the stand-down rules where you ask someone to take either leave or to stand down from their employment without being paid. Uh, alternatively, um, you could look at making roles redundant. So Amelia was saying previously that if you uh, have your employment terminated because you're made redundant and the redundancy is a genuine redundancy, 
then that dismissal or termination is not subject to an unfair dismissal claim. The, the right. test of whether there is a genuine redundancy really comes down to whether that position is not being filled and whether that position is no longer being undertaken by anyone else in the organisation. So mm -hmm. uh, in some circumstances, particularly with a downturn in work, there is uh, opportunity for redundancy. Uh, for small business employee, employers, um, they are exempt from the requirement to pay redundancy in certain circumstances. It depends upon the nature of the industry and the employer. Some awards like the Building and Construction Award uh, have uh, award-specific redundancy schemes that fall outside of the Fair Work Act. So you need to obviously look at those things before making a uh, decision around redundancy. Yep. But if, if the only option is essentially um, dismissing a person because of unsatisfactory performance or otherwise, then, um, then from an employer's perspective, process is important and having the right reasons for dismissing someone is also important. So, so, so with that point of, um, with what you're saying, Heath, there about the whole redundancy and everything like that, before making someone redundant or, you know, even looking to dismiss someone, is it best to try and get some advice just to make sure that you're following the correct process? Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm a lawyer, right? So, <laughs> you've got I think everyone. Think, what, I think, what, what, I, what do you think? I think everyone yeah. can anticipate what I'm about to say, but, but clearly, um, I mean, for one, you're dealing with the livelihood of people who have worked for you, and they may have worked for you for a long time. And it's not often a master-servant relationship. You know, in this modern age, hopefully it's not. Um, usually you, you develop your friendships from work, and you know, at the very least, you, you've been working with someone on a, on a relatively close basis for a long period of time. You don't make decisions about dismissing that person lightly. Yeah, so taking all of those things into account, Cameron, I would say, of course, it's important to get that advice because uh, it is a minefield. Now, even if you take the best advice and take the most appropriate steps as an employer to dismiss someone, it doesn't insulate you from a claim from that employee that you are unfair, that they are unfairly dismissed. Yeah. But if you've received advice and you've taken the right steps, to some extent, you're protected from that sort of claim. If you take advice early and a claim is bought, then it, you can get legal advice or strategic advice how to best resolve the dispute before it goes too far. The risks of not properly dealing with it, you know, a lot of employers stick their head in the sand. They end up in a conciliation. The employer says, well, I want to be reinstated or I want 26 weeks compensation. Now, that, that can essentially cruel a business if they have to come up with 26 weeks worth of wages for someone who they no longer wish to employ. Yeah. So you need to have strategies to avoid it, or if you're in the middle of a fight, how to deal with it appropriately so that the business keeps on going without it needing to shut down. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we're kind of in the situations we're discussing here, um, we're kind of hoping that, you know, it's the perfect scenario from an employment perspective, like there's things like employment contracts and all the right, you know, procedures have been followed. But if, for instance, somebody doesn't have those fundamental, you know, aspects of an employment employment relationship already in their business, and you know, they can hear from this that they need to do something about it, what would be the way that they would would go about it? Is there something we can do to help with that? I'd be contacting us to be biased about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be 
I'd be contacting us to help you prepare some employment contracts. It's never too late to prepare an employment contract just because someone's been working with you for a while doesn't necessarily mean you can't give them an employment contract. You can give them a contract that records the current agreement that you've got with them. We can also assist um, with policies and procedures so that you and your staff, your HR department and other managers understand how to deal with unsatisfactory performance, how to deal with serious misconduct and so everyone's dealt with fairly and consistently so that you know that you're ticking all those boxes you know you're giving people warnings you're getting them in for interviews and and things like that so that you're insulating yourself as best you can if you do have to defend a claim that you can say well we've got an employment contract these were the terms this is what you did this is how we dealt with it you can provide some evidence for that uh, but we can cover the full spectrum of that and it's it's always better to preempt these things and, and have processes and things in place before it becomes a problem rather than deal with it once it does become a problem when time and, and money is, is more of an issue. Amelia, everything that you're saying is great and I've kind of heard on the grapevine that you're a bit of a hound dog when it comes to these issues. Uh, and one of your many talents is being able to go into a business, look at it in, as a whole and determine where these kinds of problems lie. Now, is that a service that you 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 are able to offer, you know, there is that something more that it's like a retrospective thing? You know, you've got to wait till a problem happens. So we, we can, Cameron, we can. We can come in our employment law team and, and take a look at your business as part of our business health check um, initiative. We can take a look at your employees, your contracts, your processes, procedures, um, your terms and conditions, how you deal with your, your clients and, and things like that and um, identify any, any issues um, that we see, either potential gaps where you could find yourself in, in a sticky litigation situation or how to improve your practices so that you can better defend an unfair dismissal claim or prevent one from, from being brought against you. So we, we can certainly do that. If anyone wants to contact us and do that, we can we can arrange that. Okay, awesome. Well, I tell you what, both Amelia and Heath, it has been great to kind of have you on board here today because I know that I've learned a lot uh, and there's a lot of things that now I need to have food for thought next time Heath makes fun of my outfit. Um, I definitely know that I'm the process that I may need to take. Um, but is there any last words that either of you have out there for our listeners? Cameron, thanks for giving us the opportunity to talk today. Um, it's been helpful. To be honest, we really just had a very brief overview of unfair dismissals. The employment law area is complex. It's not just unfair dismissals that people need to consider, but, it, but essentially it's been great to have a chance to have a talk about unfair dismissals and, and thanks for today. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you both for joining me and for all our listeners out there. If you're liking our podcast, please uh, like and subscribe like always. And if you've got any feedback for us, please let us know. Uh, and you can contact us by uh, following us on Facebook. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash Adams and Partners Lawyers. Uh, you can also contact us by sending an email to info at adamslawyers.com.au. Uh, or, you know, just leaving a comment on the podcast and we will uh, follow it up. Uh, and that's all that we have for today. So thank you both once again for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Cam. No worries. And uh, we'll speak to you all soon and we'll be back with another podcast in the next couple of weeks. Thanks. Bye.